Hey, this is David and Nicole Binion, pastors of Dwell Church. We're so glad you've joined us and we hope you enjoy today's message. Wow, I love the Lord. I love the Lord. I saw, I got a meme today, a text message. You get messages from different pastors from time to time, so I get this one. It's a meme of these four people sitting in church. There's a stained glass window on one side, and they're like wooden pews. And this man is saying, I love this church. I'd do practically anything for this church. I mean, anything other than actually join it and tithe and work and such. (laughs) That's not how I feel about this church. And I also, uh, Bishop Garlington sent me this text last week, uh, and I thought I would share it before we get started, all right? How many of you are here Wednesday night? Just going to roll with me in here the second time, all right? In a kindergarten class, the teacher offers the kids $5 if they can name the most famous person who ever lived. Little Sean O'Sullivan says, St. Patrick. The teacher says, no, I'm sorry, Sean, that's not correct. Little Johnny Williams says, Abraham Lincoln. She says, no, Johnny, I'm afraid that's not the answer. Little David Goldberg says, Jesus Christ. The teacher says, that's right, David, you get $5. As he comes up to collect the money, the teacher says, you know, David, being Jewish, I'm surprised you said Jesus. David replies, in my heart, I know it's Moses, but business is business. (laughs) Your laughter was voluminous. (laughs) I had to use that word. I was talking to my friend Jim Matan, who's here tonight. And he was describing something on the phone. We were t- I forget, what were we talking about? The revelation. We were talking about the revelation of Jesus and, and the images and uh, uh, the, the whole thing about the, the book of, the Re- of Revelation. And he said, it's so voluminous. And I said, ooh, Jim. That's a big word. I don't think I use that word in my vocabulary. And uh, then I said, I think I'm going to try to use it in my sermon on Sunday. <laughs> voluminous. So we'll see how many times I can bring that word into the sermon, all right? Challenge accepted. We are building a house of prayer. Trying to decide uh, if I should wait. I'm going to start quenching the spirit about 6.30 so we can get home and watch the Grammys. (laughs) That's just a joke. We're not going home. We're going to go have dinner. (laughs) Every house has a personalized signature fragrance, a distinct aroma. There are times in our home We'd come home from a trip and we'd walk into our kitchen. Do you ever do this where your garbage disposal has a stank? (laughs) Uh, 
And so Nicole has this little trick and it works. She gets a lemon out and chops it in half and drops it down in the disposal. And uh, it, helps, it helps the situation. It helps solve the aroma problem. Sometimes you need assistance. There is a whole business. An industry that seeks to help people solve the fragrance problem. We were in Vegas, walked into the lobby of the Red Rock, and there's this distinct fragrance that they have piping into the atmosphere. When you, you ever do that, you go to a nice fine hotel, and there's like a, a, just an, a wonderful, you're like, how can I box this up and take it home, right? right. We go to gift, stop, gift shops and try to buy the candles. You come to our house at any given time, Nicole has a candle in the living room, maybe the kitchen on the island, uh, definitely one in the bathroom. Um, in the office, on the desk, candles everywhere. We've had people over, or, you know, and you come in, and it's just like, I like to come home. If she lights them while I'm there, I don't notice the aroma as much as if I'm away. And I come home, park in the garage, come into the house, and Nicole has the aroma in our house just right. Every house. Hotels and restaurants. Sometimes it's scented candles. It's funny. Who was it that was just telling us? You and Susan? And it was Susan and Gracie got a candle in Nashville, and it says Vietnam on it. And Susan thought it was a Vietnam-scented candle. (laughs) It was made in Vietnam, but it didn't smell like Vietnam. I've been to Vietnam, I know. Um, During the holidays, Nicole did this new thing that we've never done before. She would get, like, vinegar... And no vinegar, oranges, cinnamon, sticks. oranges, cinnamon sticks, and cloves, and boil them in water and leave them leave it on the stove. Kind of just in the house, just smelled like this Christmas. There's something about the aroma of a house that makes you feel cozy or included or warm, and it's welcoming. The church is God's house, his dwelling place. And his house has an aroma. Throughout scripture, many times it talks about perfumes and incense, smoke with an aroma. What is the aroma of this house? We've got first-time visitors. Now, the aroma may not be a fragrance. I'm wearing Creed. If you got close to me, I'm wearing Creed, what it's called. It's green, help me. Green Irish Tweed. Green Irish Tweed is, is the name of the fragrance, but it's made by Creed. Green Irish Tweed made by Creed. And I smell really good. 
thought about asking myself out. <laughs> but what does this house, what is the aroma of this house, Kyle? Uh, it may not be the scent of the pastor, but, but it's this spiritual wooing, drawing, something about this house, something about every house that you would go to as a house of God. There are certain dynamics, personalities in a house, unique worship. I think we have incredible worship. This is, this is our lane. This is our area of, of expertise, if you want to say that. But worship is, it's a high priority. We call this a presence place. We want people to know that they have been with Jesus and not just sing a list of songs until somebody gets a goose bump and call it church. But we want the aroma of worship to be evident. Isaiah 56 verse 7 says, The bigger print, it's much easier than that back there. (laughs) These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. I told them Wednesday night, I played Jesus in a passion play for 10 years. I was crucified 200 times. I was scourged. I ascended with these wires tied to my waist and my back and I flew over the audience. I came out of the tomb 200 times. And so I never dreamed about acting. Well, I did want to be the $6 million man. I could imagine having my own show and having strength, but just look at this. It was a letdown. Um, But I never thought that I could actually get on a stage and act. And so our pastor up in Chicago wanted me to audition. He just knew that I could be the perfect Jesus. And of course, I had just moved there from Texas and I get up and he gives me the script. I'm like, what? What, what am I doing? And so, um, I get up and my opening scripture, Jesus comes on the stage and he, and he knocks over the tables where they're buying and selling in the, in the big temple. And, and so I come up and he gives me this script and I say, it is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer. (laughs) And he just kind of lowered his face in his hands and chuckled. He says, David, David, David. And he tells me how to do it. He says, no, 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 no. I want you to say it like this. And it felt so fake. And it felt so I just started and I had to say it like this. It is written. My house shall be called a house of prayer. but you've made it a den of thieves. And when I said it, I felt this unction come. He gave me a voice. 
And with the voice came an unction. Let's read the next passage. Jesus quoted the same thing that Isaiah prophesied. What is the next one? The next one is Matthew 21, 13. He said to them, it is, it is written. <laughs> My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. I felt it again. Every line that I would, that I would quote, I remember standing at the, at the table of the Last Supper and I would say, with great desire, I've longed to eat this last Passover with you before I must suffer. Then I go to the part where one of you will betray me and Lord, Lord, will I be? All of that, all of this. Every time I would, be, I would get, have a scripture to memorize as Jesus in the play and they put extensions in my hair. <laughs> Ladies, I understand. <laughs> it took four and a half hours to get extensions in my hair. And then I started growing my hair out. Then I had Michael Bolton hair for years. And then I grew a bald spot. <laughs> and they let me go. Because <laughs> surely Jesus was not bald. Psalm 141, verse 2 says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The message says it like this. Treat my prayer as sweet incense rising. My raised hands are my evening prayers. I like this verse. Leviticus chapter 6 verse 13 says, Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Say that. It shall not go out. He's speaking of prayer, the fire of prayer and sacrifice. Say it again, it shall not go out. I declare to you that this house is a house of prayer. There's some things I've learned over the years. I remember when I was, I think I was 21. Let me read this other scripture, then I'll tell you that. Acts 4.31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Yeah. What would it look like? What would it look like if the people of Dwell began to pray and the place was shaken? Yeah. I mean, I mean, are they just, is this just like a Pentecostal metaphor or did the place really shake? I don't care. However it works, if I feel shaken, I thank God. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So I learned some things about prayer that, I mean, when I was a kid, we lived on Bend Street about a block from the square, 116 South Bend Street. You should go drive by and see where I grew up. And I remember playing in my house with my brothers and I would go running down the hall with my truck. I think it was a red truck. And I was just playing, but I kind of got close to the room where mom and dad were praying. And I was arrested 
by the presence of God. And I'm just six or seven years old and I don't even know what to do with it. But I knew it was him. And it, I was in awe by the roar of prayer. Now, you have to understand that mom and dad didn't just make noise. I grew up around the miraculous. So it wasn't, uh, there, was, there was power in their prayer life. And so I was, I was so moved by it. And so uh, when I was 21, my sister and I went to Brooklyn Tabernacle. Y'all know Brooklyn Tabernacle, the choir. They have thousands of people and three or 400 people in the choir. Just the noise of the choir in the room was just blew us away. But we went to their prayer meeting on Tuesday night. Now, prayer meeting is scheduled to start at 7, but people get off work at 5, and they don't want to go home. Too much traffic, too much trouble. They come straight to church at 5 o'clock, and prayer, there is a roar of prayer in their sanctuary, in the tabernacle. From 5 o'clock, the place was packed out already, and people came straight from work and were already praying. And I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen prayer like this. It was just this roar. And at, at the drop of a hat, any one of them would be called on and say, pray about this. And it would just be this intense fervency. Yeah. We're going to do a little exercise, okay? We did this Wednesday night. We're going to do it again. I just want to um, help you understand, okay? So I, I'm going to... If you're on this side of the church, I want you, everybody stand up for a minute. We're going to do this exercise on our feet, all right? So everybody over here, I want you to kind of visualize when you do what I ask you to do. I just want you to think that you're, um, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to make a loud noise. But it's like, I want, you to, I want you to imagine that you're yelling at the wall over there. If you're on this side of the church, I want you to, Thrust the sound that I'm going to ask you to make towards this wall. If you're in the back, just hit the LED screen and shake the place. But I'm just, I'm just going to do it. It's like, this is, this is what I want you to do, okay? It may feel silly, but do it anyway, all right? And it's just like this. I'm going to pull the mic away and go, oh! Okay, so now everybody, everybody do that. Now. Okay, okay, now some of you are kind of giggling while we're doing this, but some of you already started feeling something swelling. You've been given a voice. You've been given permission to open up your mouth. Now you go to the football game and you make all kinds of noise. How many of us are going to be in our living room yelling at the TV next Sunday? Nobody. So I want you to do it again. And this time I just want you to know that I'm equipping you with a sound. 
I'm giving you, it's, it's like, it's like, it is written, my house. I felt I was given a voice. I want to give you a voice to allow a, a spirit of intercession to, to be awakened inside of you. Ready? We're going to do this for 60 seconds. And I just don't want you to look around at anybody. I just want you to allow this noise to come up out of you. Are you ready? Let's do it. One, two, three, go. If you want to turn it to a hallelujah, you can. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Everybody give yourself a hallelujah. Hallelujah! Okay, okay, okay. So, so I, like, I don't want to try to manufacture, remanufacture what I encountered in, at Asbury University. I don't want to try to reproduce what I experienced at Brooklyn Tabernacle. But I want Dwell Church to discover the voice, the sound of prayer. I want you to know that prayer sounds like something. I am done with, okay, let's pray, and I'll be praying, and everybody else is going, and I'll be praying fire down, and I'll get some kind of response sometimes, amen, but I don't want you to amen my prayer. I want you to pray. I'm not preaching then, I'm praying, and I want you to pray with me, and I want us to learn how to pray There is, uh, you can sit down, you can sit down. There's a church that I know started, they started calling 6 a.m. prayer and they had all their staff to come to the morning prayer. And the leader was encouraging everyone to pray and they're just, oh God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. And when it was over, the leader went to the pastor and said, why, why aren't the people praying? And they were like, they, they don't know how. They've not been shown how to pray. I mean, we pray, God, thank you for this day. Let us have good dreams. Watch over our doors and windows. Me and Carson pray that. And then he makes his declarations. There are things we pray. Lord, bless our lunch today. Nicole made shepherd's pie for lunch. And it was really good. And so I started, I actually, I took a bite before I prayed, because I knew it was going to be really good, because this is one of my favorite things. And then I said, thank you, Jesus. But I'm not talking about that kind of prayer. That's real. I was grateful, especially after the 21-day Daniel fast, to have some beef. (laughs) We have to learn how to have the power of a unified praying church. I want to say this to you. Prayer 
is the key to all that God will ever do in the church. Prayer is mentioned 31 times in the book of Acts. Prayer preceded every significant event in the book of Acts. It was the link to the power of the Holy Spirit. The spiritual history of the church is written in its prayer life. Unified prayer. The Puritans called it the concert of prayer. That's what we were doing. That's what we were establishing our teaching, training how to have a concert of prayer. Now, it's not just yelling. It's allowing your voice to intercede. And sometimes prayer is a groan, a wordless sigh, Paul said. It's the power to shake things in both the invisible and the visible world, moving by force and removing obstacles, tearing down strongholds and releasing the supernatural realm for miracles and healing. I want you to understand that when you find your voice and you allow it to rise up in the spirit of prayer, you engage the supernatural realm. You might not see it. You may not feel it. You don't have to. But I promise you, our city is desperate for it. This region must have it. Our nation must have it. There is a revival of prayer coming to the church. The house of prayer is the church praying together with lifted voices, creating spiritual incense rising up to God. Do you realize? I want you to understand that what we were just doing, it was causing an aroma to rise up into the nostrils of God. A house of prayer has specific biblical expressions of prayer. We build, we build a house of prayer by making expressions in our corporate services a priority to make our place a place of sweet aroma saturated with the spirit of prayer. I'm talking about the kind of prayer that takes more than six people that show up on, on Monday morning. I'm not going to condemn anybody. You don't have to get up and come to the building. But if you don't have a prayer life outside of what you do when you gather here on Sunday or when you pray over a meal, if you don't have a prayer life, you will never get anywhere. You will never accomplish anything in the kingdom if you don't have a prayer life. Everything that you will ever uh, establish in the kingdom or receive in the kingdom will come as a result of a prayer life and not just a few. Prayer is not a gift of the spirit that only certain people get. It's not a gift that just a few people have. It is uh, an opportunity for every believer. Now there are those that like, like Lisa Lyman who carry a mantle of prayer. Abuela meets me here every, every Monday morning and she, has, she carries a mantle 
of prayer. Janelle and Edward, faithful, unlocking the door because I set the alarm off. Helping me turn on the lights and keeping the lights just right for prayer. There, there, there are people, but I want to tell you about them because I hope that would inspire others. And if you just have to pray at home, get up, set your alarm, go into your closet in your PJs and talk to God. I'll tell you, in recent days, my wife has gone into her closet making some noise. She went into, she, she went to fight some devils and she went in her closet and it humored me. I was like, go Nicole, go Nicole. I, I, I love seeing that develop in her. She's, she, she's someone that you can call on to pray and knows how to touch the heart of God in her prayer life, not just with her singing voice. Her singing voice is as good as any singing voice on the planet. And her singing voice shifts an atmosphere, and it's amazing, but her praying voice rips hell apart. Oh, let me see. It's the quench the spirit time. Pray with supplication. Supplication is a prayer of need and a prayer of request, offering specific petitions. It is a steadfast, continuous, unceasing prayer, an intense spiritual struggle. Voluminous. (laughs) I found a place for it. Persevering. Ephesians 6.18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance. Do you feel the intensity in that word? And supplication for all the saints. Then there's the parable of the persistent praying widow. Remember the story? Luke 18, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read it to you from the message translation. Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. Everybody say, never quit. quit. He said, there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow... A widow, (laughs) I don't know if I did something or if the battery's going low. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He He never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I'd better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Then the master said, do you hear what that judge, corrupt as he is, is saying? So what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people? 
who continue, who continue to cry out for help. Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will. He will not drag his feet. But how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? I hear that question and I'm convicted. And I want to stand and just go, Oh, God! Lord, I pray for the people of Dwell Church with fervency, with perseverance. I pray for the city of Dallas. God, we're in trouble if you don't come, if you don't move. But God, I refuse to listen to the news. I refuse to hear what the demonic realm says about the earth. God, you promised. You promised. You promised. You promised. How much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find at Dwell Church? (sighs) Daniel 10, 12. Then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. I used that scripture last week when we talked about making faith declarations. He said, I've come because of your words. Sometimes there are delays in prayer. And this is the great example. The answer was granted on the first day, but was delivered on the 21st day. Sometimes there's demonic resistance in prayer prevailing must turn the tide. I will tell you, I think we get stuck in the second heaven when we've been invited to be seated with Jesus in heavenly places in the third heaven. He, when, when, when Paul wrote about that, he wasn't talking about where we go when we die. He was talking about in this life, we've been invited to an elevated perspective that pierces through the realm of the demonic. And we see things like he sees things. We see from his perspective and we pray. We get a lot more done when we pray from heaven towards the earth. We get stuck sometimes in the resistance when we pray from the earth toward the heaven. But come up to the high place. There are a lot of missing uh, uh, empty chairs up here. Did you see, uh, anybody see Les Mis? Les Miserables? I saw it on Broadway when it first came out 30 years ago. And there was, this, there was this song that made me weep. And it's it just because I'm a crybaby and it had nothing to do. But, but there was a song called Empty Chairs at Empty Tables. And, and I think about that song as it relates to the place that we've been invited to sit and function from. And God's like, here's the answer. Come up higher. Come up higher. Come up, come and be seated and function from here. Make declarations from this perspective. 
oh, I see. I see what's happening now because you have this elevated, no, no, demon, you're not going to have my child. No. No. Why don't we just do that in warfare? Let's just use the word no now. Everybody stand up and just use the word, and we're going to fight the demonic resistance that we face in our own lives individually. Just start calling it out. You know about your kids. You know about your spouse. Just start praying it. No. Isaiah 59, 16 says, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. An intercessor is a man or a woman or child who fights on behalf of others. Intercession is the activity that identifies us most with Christ. To be an intercessor is to be like Jesus because that is what Jesus is like. He ever lives to intercede. Yes, 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 yes. Pray with authority. You know what authority is. You may, you may, you may have never uh, experienced it in the spirit realm, but you know what authority is when you deal with your child. My parents could look at me and give me the scary eye. They wouldn't have to say a word, but they took authority. And we would all, people marveled at how well-behaved the six of us were in public. <laughs> but all oh, the things, I, I never did anything. I was, I swear to you, you're not supposed to swear, right? Uh, I promise you, I was the one always threatening to tell and the other five were the ones in trouble. My mom actually wrote a book about all six of her kids, and the title of my chapter was The Child of Perfection. <laughs> Pray with authority. Intercession is an extension of the ministry of Jesus. His authority is now our authority. Our position is one of authority in and through Christ. Pray with confidence. Break bondages. Create new hope and remove spiritual hindrances. Numbers 23, 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Hebrews 10.23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Matthew 18.19, again I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Matthew 21 and 22 says, and whatever things you ask 
in prayer, believing you will receive. Pray against the gates of hell, the powers of the unseen evil underworld. The powers and government of hell will not hold out against the church, the interceding church. Matthew 16, 18, and I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. Pray for our cities. Stand in the gap for our cities. Believe the power of one person or one church standing in the gap can save a city from hell's destructive powers. Respond with repentance, humility, and continuous intercession. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.